morning, ZPC. Oh, that was a very good response. I'm pleased. Thank you very, very much. I, this, uh, well, you're here. The hour is delightful, isn't it, this morning hour? You're, you're to be commended for getting up when you do. I don't always do that. But, but it uh, was very refreshing for me to, to, to greet the morn this morning. And, and you, to do that with you is a delight for me. It is indeed my, my pleasure this morning as Paris Associate to share with you in, in these moments, and particularly to share with you around our Lord's table. But it's also a privilege, and it really reflects the longing of my heart that together we might gather around his table. You might well recall that we Protestant Reformed Presbyterians have two sacraments. Baptism, right? Oh, good, good, we're, we're, we're into it. Communion, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And these sacraments are to be special, heightened moments, grace moments, during which, in quiet, we'll try this later out in the parking lot, we'll see how that goes, but in quiet, then we might experience together our Lord's love and grace. Thus, my, my sincere prayer has been that during these moments when we are with one another, we truly might know the Spirit of Christ among us, directing our, our thoughts and our feelings toward Him. And so I, I really am very delighted to be with you this morning and delighted that we will have opportunity to be around His table. But it's also my, my pleasure and privilege this morning to, to draw upon John chapter 17, a passage which truly opened John's gospel to me. In, in that one chapter, in 26 verses, seven times, Jesus identified himself as the sent one the sent one, which then led me to note in, in all of John's gospel, 28 times Jesus identified himself as the sent one, suggesting that if we are to be those following him, we too are to be sent. This morning, I invite you to ponder or to ponder afresh with me, John 17, 1 to 5. And I invite you to ponder the, the imperative now. Now. But before we do so, and this will be another one of Stan's little experiments, uh, I have a question for you. When you hear or read the word heaven, when you hear or read the word heaven, what do you think 
What do you feel? When you hear or read the word heaven, what do you think, what do you feel? Now, this will mostly work. I want you to turn to your neighbor, if you have a neighbor. You have a neighbor, most of you have a neighbor. And I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, and, and those who, of you who are watching uh, live stream, then put down your coffee cup and turn to somebody around the table or wherever you are and say, neighbor, when you hear or read the word heaven, what do you think or feel? So let's practice. Go ahead, say it. Neighbor. Oh, a little more enthusiasm than that. Let's try it again. Neighbor. Oh, good. Okay. Neighbor, when you hear or read the word heaven, what do you feel? What do you think? You got it? Oh, okay, I saw a thumbs up. All right, we'll go with that. I'll give you 60 seconds, all right? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, when you hear or read the word heaven, what do you feel, what do you think? Do it, you're on, 60 seconds. Are you still talking? Keep going, you have time. What do you feel, what do you think? What do you see? Heaven. Have you exhausted it? Have you expressed all your thoughts? Okay. Thank you for humoring me. That's exactly what you're doing, particularly at this early hour. And you can go back to drinking coffee and that'll be fine. But thank you very much. Our passage this morning in John 17 concludes with our Lord's final moments and words to his disciples in an upper room. And very telling, those final words are his prayer for those first original 12 disciples and for those who would believe their message. That is, Jesus prayed for you and for me. In light of his praying for them and for us, please now join me in a further moment of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious and living Lord, we ask that in these moments we will encounter you afresh. Please be here among us. Help us to hear from you. We don't need to hear my words, we need to hear you who are the living word. Grant us the gift of your presence. This we humbly ask in your great and wonderful name. Amen. If you would now, I would invite you to listen to or to hear the word of God as it comes to us from John 17, 
1 to 5. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we turn to John 17, 1 to 5, I invite you this morning to give thought to two phrases, eternal life and a work completed. Eternal life and a work completed. In his prayer, as I just read, in his prayer, Jesus asked that all that had been given to him by the Father might then be given to his disciples, namely the gift of eternal life. In John's gospel, only twice did Jesus employ the language kingdom of God, whereas 17 times he spoke of eternal life. I think it's safe to suggest that the two expressions, kingdom of God, eternal life, are nearly synonymous. However, we dare not miss the nuance. Kingdom suggests, suggests place and authority, whereas eternal life suggests forever relationship. Kingdom and life are not antithetical to one another, but they do provide a different lens. The one is a focus upon person. The other is more a focus upon place. But lest we misunderstand, Jesus then defined eternal life. And this is eternal life, he said, in order that they might know you, Father, the only true God and the one whom you sent. In other words, Jesus was sent to reestablish a totally fractured, broken relationship between a 
holy God, a holy creator, and his unholy human creation. Jesus' focus was upon relationships, not religious practices. Even though religious practices are, or disciplines are of value, his focus was upon relationships. In verses 1 to 5, Jesus also noted, I have glorified you upon the earth, completing the work which you have given to me. Briefly, I would have us note that the word to glorify, doxazo, and you can hear it as it comes into to English, Latinized, or, but uh, doxology, right? Doxazo to glorify. But consistently in John's gospel, that word doxazo, glorify, has to do with Jesus' suffering and his crucifixion. Even here in verse 1, Jesus asked, the fa asked, Father, the hour, the hour has come, glorify your Son. And what was that hour? Surely, it was his cross, his death for our sake. Thus, it seems to me that the work Jesus had been given was to die upon a Roman cross. This is the work in his prayer, which he said he had completed. Or, if you will allow, all the actors were at that moment in place for that work to be realized. Gethsemane was yet only moments away. The trials, Golgotha, and then according to John, Jesus' last words from the cross, Tetelestai, it is finished. Tetelestai, I did what you asked me to do. And he lifted his head in triumph and died. For a further moment, Let's consider more carefully Jesus' claim, I have done what you asked me to do. Over the years, I have marveled at those words. Really? Truly, Jesus? Completed? Finished? Were there not others to be healed? Were there not other parables to be given to enlighten? Were, were there not others who needed your touch or at least needed your presence? Wasn't there more that you could have done? 
As I'm now in my eighth decade of life, as I look back, I wonder, have I done what I was created to do? Have I been who I was created to be? In my view, the questions, what am I to do, who am I to be, are, are those lifelong perennial questions to be asked at age 12, age 19, 33, 45, 62, 71, and I suppose age 94. Wendell Berry. I hope if you don't know Wendell Berry that someday you might come to know Wendell Berry and his, his writings. Wendell Berry, in a short story entitled Pray Without Ceasing, narrates the story of Matt Feltner, who lived a very normal Kentucky farmer's life of the early 20th century. Fields and mules, tobacco and probably occasional bourbon, Nothing exceptional about Matt. Nothing exemplary, except for 30 minutes. 30 minutes of his life. Within one half hour, Matt's reaction to his father's murder and murderer brought healing and life to a small, rural Kentucky town. The year, 1912. On Main Street, late Saturday afternoon, the townsfolks witnessed the murder. They knew the murderer they could have easily lynched him with great justification. But Matt said, no, you will not lynch my father's killer. And because he said no, two generations later, the murdered man's great-grandchildren and the murderer's great-grandchildren lived peaceably. In fact, the two families were joined together by marriage. Wendell Berry's point, Matt's work in his life wasn't farming. Rather, it was to live that in succeeding generations, two families would know healing, peace, and the love of God. I wonder, to what or whom have you been called? As a lawyer, as an entrepreneur, 
as a mother, as an in-law, as a student, to what moment have you been called? Seems to me the only way to answer that question is to be in relation to our Creator, just as Jesus was to His Father. To what, to whom have you been called? For some of you, might, you just might want to stay there and sit with that question. But for others of us this morning, let's, let's now return to those words, eternal life. As I've already indicated, eternal life in John's gospel is relational. It is personal, intimate, hopes and fears, knowledge, with and in God the Father and God the Son. Yes, it is knowledge, but it is experiential knowledge. It invites and demands the whole of who we are. Biblically, it is the knowledge whereby Adam and Eve knew one another and she conceived and bore a son. Moreover, as understood in Jesus' prayer, this personal experiential knowledge is present tense. It is now. It is not some future moment. It is now, because, because we only have the present. It is now here for you and me. Later, it'll be now for those in a parking lot. But it is now. It's in a parking lot. It's at a mall. It's at a ball game. It's in solitude. We can only know the triune God now. Now. C.S. Lewis, I believe, provided insight into the mystery of now. When he wrote, Earth, I think, will not be found by anyone to be, in the end, a very distinct place. I think earth, if chosen instead of heaven, will turn out to have been all along only a region in hell. And earth, if put second to heaven, if earth put second to heaven, to have been from the beginning a part of heaven itself. Admittedly, Lewis' thought can be questioned, and his language is spatial. But if God and heaven are synonymous, which they are in Hebrew thought, then heaven and eternal life are now, 
they are now. And the forever center and focus of that life is is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This leads me to ask, right now, right now, what is the nature and quality of your relationship with God? Now. Not what was it in the past, some great moment 20 years ago. Not what you might hope it will be in the future. But now, what is it now? If it's not what it was, if it's not what you would hope it to be, this relationship, then now begin that necessary relational conversation. It's me. Me again. How, how am I doing with you? And how, how, are, how are you doing with me? And are we together? This conversation always begins now, wherever we are. Essentially, Jesus said, I have done what you asked. Essentially, he said, to know me is to know eternal life. Now, to whom, to what, have you been called? Right now, are you experiencing life eternal? Are you experiencing Jesus? He is here, now. Let's pray. Gracious and living Lord, there is so much that we don't understand, but we do understand or recognize your love for us. That work that you came to do and did so faithfully at such great cost. Please grant that in the now, even now, we will know your presence. We will know you. We will know the hope that you provide. We will know the grace and the love that you have for us. 
please, as we at moments falter, reconnect with us so that we might reconnect with you. So that now and forevermore we might relate to you. This we sincerely ask in the great wonder and power of who you are. Amen.